0: This is Cultured Hollywood for smart people for Monday, February 10th, 2020, our post-Oscar edition. I'm Nico. I'm your host. We're talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them, but mostly just movies today. Happy Oscar Monday, the day after the big one. Um... Man, I'm so excited for this today. (laughs) What a weird Oscars. Yo, how weird was that last night? What did we just watch? What in God's name was that? (laughs) Bro, I could have watched like five more hours of that last night. I know everyone hated it. I know everyone on Twitter was complaining too long, too long, too many montages, too many musical numbers, the speeches sucked, what's Parasite, yada, yada, yada. Give me 10 hours. Give me that exact show every night. I'm cool with it. I would watch that. (laughs) Like a 90-year-old woman watching a telenovela. Honestly, give me that every day. That is all I want out of popular culture. I eat that up like a silver spoon, like Dracula in search of blood, like zombies in search of brains. Nico is in search of bizarre award show moments, and they were in high supply last night. Wow. Where do we begin? Um, well... Oh, shoot. Okay, let's, let's do this parasite thing now. Um... Yeah, let's just get this out of the way. Obviously, I was very, 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 very wrong. As wrong as you can possibly be. Now, I know you can look at my Oscar ballot, which I tweeted out last night, and I went 17 for 24, and I think most people would consider that a good score, because there are five nominees in every category, and the odds of guessing 17 correct are highly improbable. But given that I am an Oscar quote-unquote expert, or at least a self-proclaimed Oscar enthusiast... That is a pathetic result, and I tweeted last night that I have no business talking about movies on a podcast, and uh, I'm considering retiring from this whole endeavor, because 17 out of 24 is just pathetic. I was not onto anything last night. I went chalk in most of the categories. I took the favorite as Vegas proclaimed them. Um, and got most of those right. I went for a couple long shots. Claws in the animated film category. 1917 in the production design category. Got both of those wrong. And of course, uh, just just a bad look. I predicted a once upon a time in the Hollywood upset and said on this very podcast... Parasite has no chance at best picture, and I'm going to look like a fucking idiot if it wins in a sweep. Well, wouldn't you know it? It's the Monday after the Academy Awards. Parasite won in a fucking sweep. Um, (laughs) And this is just a warning to all those looking for some direction in life. Be mindful of false prophets. (laughs) That's what I was last night. I had no idea that this Parasite wave was coming. You read a little bit about it in the trades leading up to the big show. 1917 was considered the favorite, but Parasite, anecdotally, was gaining a lot of momentum. People in that town love that movie. Across multiple fields, by the way. Actors, cinematographers, screenwriters, directors, producers had a lot of respect for Parasite and what Bong Joon-ho was able to do with it. And although it didn't win a ton of big awards leading up to Oscar night, you could feel the momentum building. Me in suburban Connecticut had no access to such momentum, and I made the stupid prediction that Quentin Tarantino was going to win both Best Original Screenplay and Best Picture, Sam Mendes taking home Best Director. I was so happy to be wrong. Uh, Just yesterday, Nick Adam and I recorded Why Is This a Thing, the Sunday afternoon before the Oscars. And you'll be able to listen to that podcast on Wednesday. But I was already talking about how predictable the results were as though they had already happened. I was already bemoaning Sam Mendy's second best director Oscar. I was already bemoaning the fact that 1917 was like the ninth best movie of the year and is an undeserving best picture winner. So listen to that podcast on Wednesday, but I will sound like even more of a fool than I did on Friday's podcast. And it just goes to show you I have as... Thin a grasp on the Academy Awards as anyone. And anyone else on the internet who claims to be an Oscar expert is as pathetic, if not more pathetic than me. We are all headed upstream without a paddle. We have no idea what's going on in Tinseltown. Um, and so, you know, I was thinking about this. It's not only us, it's also Vegas, right? I looked at the last five best picture winners And for some reason, we have ignored this narrative, but it's sort of impossible to ignore at this point. Look at the last five Best Picture winners. This year, you had Parasite in Vegas and Underdog to 1917. The year before that, Green Book over Roma. Year before that, Shape of Water over Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Both of those upsets. The year before that, you have the famous Moonlight over La La Land debacle. And then all the way back in 2015, Spotlight over The Revenant, another upset in Las Vegas. So five years in a row now, an underdog has one Best Picture, yet for some reason, morons like me with a podcast and a blog think that the results are predictable. And in many cases, they are. Like the acting categories last night went down uh, as predictably as they've ever gone down. Brad Pitt, Laura Dern, Renee Zellweger, Joaquin Phoenix, never in doubt since like October. So I guess on that front, they were predictable. And in some of the other categories, best sound editing, no shock there. Best uh, visual effects, not really a shock there. Best score, never in doubt, was always going to be Jokers. But the best picture category, I think the Oscars has gotten something right. And I understand like Green Book was not the correct choice. Shape of Water, not the correct choice. And we wish that we could get those votes back. But they were still unpredictable results. They were still entertaining television. The Moonlight over La La Land moment, although I'm not a huge Moonlight fan, uh, was great TV and a great cultural moment. And I don't know if it's the expanded uh, Best Picture category going from five nominees to ten nominees. I'm not sure if it's the preferential ballot process that has voters rank their nine Best Picture nominees from number one to number nine. It's yielding more unpredictable results. You know, this year, 1917 wins the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, the Directors Guild Award, and the Producers Guild Award, sweeps all the major awards leading up to the Oscars. In years past, that would have meant a lock in the Best Picture category. This year, not so much. Parasite, which didn't win anything except for a few screenplay awards and foreign film awards, takes home the big one, Because people in the town like that movie. That's awesome. That's awesome. And all the film nerds on Twitter, including some in my life who I was exchanging texts with, um, were super pumped for Bong Joon-ho. Super pumped for foreign cinema. The first foreign language movie to ever take home Best Picture And Bong Joon-ho, another record that he sets, or at least ties, four Oscars in the same night, tying Walt Disney for the most Oscars in one night, producer of Parasite, uh, best foreign language film, that's the second, best director, and best screenplay. Uh, What an awesome guy. What a deserving, awesome winner at the Oscars, and you just don't ever see it. Uh, We love to complain about this thing. We um we love to second guess the Academy's choices. Even today, I'm sure people on the internet, idiots on the internet, are going to be writing think pieces about Parasite and why it's not as deserving as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or 1917 or Joker or, or Little Women or whatever. Uh, look, Parasite was not my favorite movie of last year. I think I had it ranked at number four. I would have voted for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, number one. Maybe Marriage Story, number two. Um, but Parasite, I, I still consider to be a masterpiece in every sense of the word. Um, and just a fun, entertaining evening for movie fans all over the world. Um, just super great. And, uh, you know, when, when Bong Joon-ho gives that speech for best director and he goes down the list talking about how Martin Scorsese inspired him to become a filmmaker that great line of what is most personal is what's most creative um just a great homage standing ovation to marty then he pays tribute to quentin saying that he was one of his biggest champions in the states always putting bong's films on his list of favorites and then kind of snubbing sam mendes and todd phillips at the end I mean, just a little bit of shade. Just like, yeah, those are two guys that I also admire. Um, <laughs> a great yada, yada, yada at the end of that speech. Just amazing, right? Just amazing. I was going to fucking cry when that happened, dude. When The tribute to Marty really pushed me over the edge. And then seeing Bong... Actually, a number of great Bong moments last night. You have when he wins the screenplay Oscar with his co-writer... He's there just staring at the trophy. You see the silhouette of Bong looking at the Oscar in his hand with awe and amazement and shock and wonder. And like, that's exactly what you want to see. Because people like me, if I was in that exact same position, I would be feeling the same way. Like, holy shit, I'm holding an Oscar statue right now. And I'm about to get three more of them. And it doesn't feel like real life, but it is real life. And man, I just can't think of a more deserving winner than that. Awesome, awesome, awesome night for Bong. Bong Hive in full swing. I got to go Like, watch all his movies now. I'm not a huge Snowpiercer fan. I still got to watch Oak. Jess, still got to watch Memories of a Murder. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just going to do this. He, he, has, he, has, uh, he has jumped up the list radically of my favorite people in the business. Gained so much respect last night for Bong Joon-ho. What what an awesome evening. Um, But anyway, you know who wasn't happy for Bong (laughs) Joon-ho? No, not that asshole on Twitter. Um. (laughs) All right, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. So, ABC, God bless them. There are new producers at the Oscars this year. It's a new producing team for the first time in a couple decades. And, uh, (laughs) they decided to put on a post-show, a post-game show, like you would see at a sporting event, right? Like you would see after the Super Bowl or after the AFC Championship game or after a boxing match. And so ABC decides to go to the bench, their large roster of talent, and they picked out Two individuals to host after the Oscars, live from Hollywood on ABC last night. I had no idea this was going on until I saw it on Twitter. And then I promptly hopped on and uh, watched the entire program. Uh, Maria Menounos and Stephen A. Smith were on TV together last night talking Oscars. (laughs) And I swear to God, um, bro, this is the hardest I've ever laughed. I was dying in my bedroom alone at 1230 last night watching cinephile Stephen A. Smith break down the Oscars play by play as though he knows what the hell he's talking about. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to let Stephen A. speak for himself because he's pretty good at it. Um, For those of you that don't know who Stephen A. Smith is explosive sports talk personality. He hosts a show on ESPN called First Take. Uh, He is a bit of a caricature, and um, he he likes to brag about how many friends he has in the sports world. Um, Very rarely do I agree with a Stephen A. Smith take. Very rarely do I see eye to eye with him on matters involving sports or otherwise. But nonetheless, he is one of the most engaging personalities on TV and just a, a walking, talking caricature. Like, he's just a cartoon character. And to see him talking about movies, despite having no qualifications, just tickled me pink. So here's here's what's happening here, right? The, Maria Menounos is on one couch. Stephen A. is on another couch. They're at the Governor's Ball at the Oscars. It's windy as hell in the background. The set is blowing all over the place. Maria Menounos has a heated blanket to avoid frostbite. And, you know, Maria Menounos, she's on, like, Access Hollywood or or Entertainment Tonight, whatever show she's on, Extra, Extra, Um, she's an entertainment reporter, and she's a good entertainment reporter, I wouldn't call her Cronkite, I don't think she's, like, (laughs) the Edward R. Murrow of our generation, But she is good at what she does. She is an attractive woman. She is good at glamorizing show business. She is good at interacting with famous people and making rich and famous people look good. And that is the job of an entertainment reporter. This is a pony show. This is not real journalism. This exists on a red carpet. Everyone is dolled up with tuxedos. Um, Entertainment reporting is not actual reporting. I'm just going to say that. But it's after the Oscars, and she is saying all the things that she is supposed to say. What a lovely night. What an awesome win for Parasite. Everyone looked wonderful. Joaquin Phoenix gave a great speech. But Stephen A. Smith is not in that mode. Because Stephen A. Smith comes from the world of sports. And the world from sports, although glitzy and glamorous at times, uh, thrives on debate thrives on disagreement and thrives on what we call the hot take culture. Stephen A Smith invented the hot take culture with his show First Take. So, he's doing a post game for the Oscars and he's looking for his in, right? He's looking for the hill to die on. He's looking for a a starting point, a jumping off point for this argument for this debate and Maria Menunos is just not having it here's Stephen A talking about his signature moment from the Oscars last night the best director category take it away Stephen A for me, one of the biggest moments, Maria, was the director's award. We we get the best director. I got mm-hmm. it. I got it. Parasite was absolutely phenomenal. But I actually thought Quentin Tarantino deserved it for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, I, I really, really do. It was so hard. It was so hard. Everybody, I thought Sam Mendes was going to win best yeah. director. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. And I think his speech was so beautiful. He's mm-hmm. like, I want to like... Saw this in in, in five ways and, and split it with everybody. It was such a mm-hmm. humble speech. Every speech of his was humble because he was up there a lot. I appreciate that. I truly, truly do. But I come from a world of pragmatism from time to time. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just got to like you see it. And now I think about Paris. I say, think about it this way. You saw them in a rich home. You saw them in a cellar. Mm-hmm. You saw them in the in a poor folks home, okay? That's what you saw. But when you think about what Quentin Tarantino did with Hollywood, I mean, come on now. I mean, it was all over the place. I just thought that his directing was absolutely sensational and he deserved the award tonight. I really, really believe that. Yeah. Well, I also, I loved the girl power, have to say. <laughs> Here right we go with the, start, the feminist stuff. Um, <laughs> you know. Guys, this is my favorite thing. This is my favorite thing. And here's why I'm laughing, right? I'm sitting there and I'm watching and I'm thinking about guys like Adam or or my friend Jabril or just all the movie nerds in my life who don't watch sports and have no idea who the fuck Stephen A. Smith is. They they have not gotten a taste of the Stephen A. experience. I have, for the past several years, consumed Stephen A.'s content with a silver spoon. These guys are just getting a taste of it. And here he is. (laughs) bashing the South Korean movie (laughs) and it just tickled me pink it really did guys I was dying last night and here's the funny thing too like like (laughs) so again I'm not sure Stephen A knows exactly what goes in to making a movie but like you saw him in a rich home you saw him in a poor home it's all well and good. That's what you saw. You saw him in the basement, but Quentin Tarantino went through all of LA. And I feel like Stephen A's, his, uh, criteria for great directing is just like location scouting. And I gotta be honest, like it's not the least compelling argument I've ever heard. Like I kind of, I mean, I agree with the take. I would have voted for Quentin invest director I actually do think it was the best directing job of the year and I thought once upon a time was the best movie of the year uh so like I'm not sure like the the route that we took was the same but we arrived at the same destination I think I agree with Stephen A's take like I'm not gonna play Skip Bayless here dude this was so incredible I want this every single year the only way it could have been better is if Skip Bayless was on the other couch and just have them go at it debating the, the best sound editing category. Incredible post-show. I mean, it was a disaster. They 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 had no idea that the production um, van out in the parking lot was just a mess. They were cutting to the co-host. There was this, like this six-foot-five dude who I'd never heard of who was just another one of those guys that's doing his job, which is making rich and famous people look more rich and more famous. Um smiles ear to ear perfectly white teeth too white his teeth, but they were cutting to him at, at inopportune moments and they had to like restart a number of the interviews. Uh, Stephen A was talking about Scarlett Johansson's, uh, gracious look in the audience and was narrating over the footage, but like he didn't know that the footage was playing over him. It was just a disastrous broadcast from top to bottom. And then you have Sebastian Maniscalco out there, who was in The Irishman. He was invited to the Oscars because he was in The Irishman. And he comes out, and he's like, uh, yeah, way too long. Like, (laughs) less is more Academy Awards. Three and a half hours. I'm checking my watch. So good. Spike Lee's out there. Like, I could have taken 45 minutes of Spike. That was the funny thing about it. You bring Stephen A out there for the Spike interview, right? Like, that's the only guy that Stephen A has any sort of relationship with. He does not have a relationship with the Swedish um, composer behind Joker, Hilda, whatever her name is. But there's Stephen A. interviewing Hilda last night. There's Stephen A. talking to a, a chick from Ford versus Ferrari last night. Just amazing. I wanted four hours of that post show. I was dying, dude. Hot take culture has invaded the Academy Awards. I want more. So uh, let's talk Eminem. (laughs) Let's talk Slim, shall we? I stand Slim these days. I don't know about y'all. Wow. What a choice, huh? Somehow Stephen A. Smith was not in the top five weirdest things to happen last night. The Oscars have really outdone themselves, and I could not get enough of it. So here's the thing. This was weird for a number of reasons. Obviously, it was weird because Lose Yourself came out 19 years ago and has nothing to do with 2020. I mean, it's not like that song has gained some sort of notoriety or resurgence over the past few years. It's not like Eminem is a part of our film consciousness or, for that matter, cultural consciousness in any significant way. They were not paying homage to anything. They weren't celebrating like the 20th anniversary of 8 Mile. It was just a random performance of a movie song in an evening that was filled with musical performances for some godforsaken reason. 12 musical performances. If you include the Janelle Monet opening, if you include the Maya Rudolph Kristen Wig thing, if you include the five original song nominees, if you include the In Memoriam, and if you include Eminem, 12 performances At a movie show last night. It's as if the producers thought to themselves... You know that joke thing we normally do? When you get a host that's funny and he tells jokes about movies? Eh, fuck all that. Let's just sing some songs and some show tunes and perform some original scores. Not what you want to see. I think in general. There there were a number of Grammy jokes last night. They are appropriate. Um, I did not make them, but I was certainly thinking them. The funny thing about it, actually is I'm sitting there with my buddy Alex, who was over, he watched like an hour and a half of the show last night. That's as much as he could stomach. But we had some money on it, so uh, we were watching it together. And uh, I was just on my high horse about abolishing the original song category. I just want to get rid of it. I'm just done with it. I'm over it. I I don't understand why this is a thing. Movie songs have never been significant. You have like five good movie songs ever you have like mrs robinson and somewhere over the rainbow and lose yourself and maybe the titanic song if you want to include that and then last year you have something like shallow from star is born and that's basically the list you have one good movie song every decade if you're lucky so i just want to get rid of this altogether. i don't understand why we have to watch the chick from this is us perform a song we've never heard of makes no sense to me it's not a musical night get rid of the category altogether, I'm totally fine. But they continue to do it, and it continues to be a significant part of the evening because every nominated artist performs every nominated song. So you have Randy Newman doing the song from Toy Story, which I'll admit was my favorite song of the bunch, but it's not exactly, uh, you know, (laughs) James Brown at the Apollo. (laughs) No one remembers that song, and man, Randy Newman is old. But okay, I was charmed by that. I didn't need to see Elton. This was not Elton's night. In a night that was supposed to be for Joaquin Phoenix and Brad Pitt and Bong Joon-ho, Elton John sort of felt like a distraction. Makes no sense to me, dude. So I'm like, abolish original song. And then I think, yeah, I I was talking to Alex about this. I'm like, there were only five great songs and Eminem's Lose Yourself was one of them. And Alex was like, oh, I got to go dig that up. I want to see... Eminem do lose yourself at the Oscars and I'm like oh no I remember this he actually skipped out Oscar night Barbra Streisand announced lose yourself she kind of winced when she opened the card and saw that a rapper had won best original song at the Oscars it was like a big moment that I recalled he skipped out on the Oscars I think it was something to do with his daughter I'm not 100% sure Um, so that doesn't exist and he's like oh that sucks and wouldn't you know it a half hour later here's Eminem (laughs) Making up for lost time doing lose yourself in the Oscars after just a bizarre montage of movie songs. I have no idea why they would do this, but I know I was thrilled about it. I was thrilled, <laughs> elated when I saw Eminem on my television set, and it was multiplied, the enthusiasm was multiplied tenfold when you just see the confused celebrities. A couple white dudes like bobbing their head. No, None of the celebrities got up and danced, which I thought was a weird choice. It, someone really should have led the cause on that. I think Tom Hanks should have been the martyr, the I Am Spartacus guy who stood up and started dancing to lose yourself. But they were all just sort of sitting there politely, bobbing their head, and then Marty is there having no idea what this song is, vaguely knowing who Eminem is, and confused to all hell why this was happening in front of him. Incredibly memeable. The Oscars needs more of this. I think that's my point. I want more weirdness. Like, I would have been game if Ford versus Ferrari won Best Picture last night. I would have been so down for that. I would have been so down if Todd Phillips won Best Director. That would have been incredible to me. I love the chaos I love insane TV, I love unpredictability, and I love confused celebrities out of their element. And there were so many moments like that last night. Just Marty watching Eminem do Lose Yourself 19 years after the song wins Best Picture. I I saw a tweet about this last night. That, my friends, is cinema. That, (laughs) That, my friends, is cinema. Uh, I I would recommend less music, though. But this was the weird thing, because they go no host, and I guess it worked out for them last year. I thought this was a more entertaining Oscars, but a less coherent Oscars, and look, I am all, again, for the chaos, so I enjoyed this one more, but they had such success without the host last year, because they streamlined it. There were less montages, there were less monologues, there were less musical numbers, and it was just acceptance speech, acceptance speech, acceptance speech. This one so much filler they do this Janelle Monet thing at the beginning which I didn't think was a great performance but when I saw her dressed up as Florence Pugh from Midsommar, uh <laughs> what do you say to that <laughs> what do you say to that <laughs> other than just put me in a bear costume stick me in Janelle Monet's garage and burn me alive I am so here for this. You got here's what you had. You had a musical number celebrating the best in cinema from the past year. On Hollywood's Biggest Night, here are the signature movies from 2019. And the Oscar producers are brainstorming this. Janelle Monet is gonna perform it. So you have Won't You Be My Neighbor? Because she's doing Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Does the Mr. Rogers tribute. Fine. You have a bunch of dudes dressed as Joker doing background dancing. Uh, All right. I mean, it was nominated. So sure, Joker, fine. I'm with you. And then we go Doppelgangers from Us, a movie that everyone has forgot about, zero Oscar nominations for Us. And we go Midsommar, not just as a part of a montage, not just a clip in a series of movie clips. Midsommar was the (laughs) leading visual motif in the first five minutes of the Academy Awards. Was the most recognizable costume. Was the thematic centerpiece of the Oscar intro. Midsommar flowery costumes. Uh, what a night, bro. What a night. Just a, a night I, I uh, as much as I try, will never be able to forget. You got Bong Joon-ho shouting out Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You got the Midsommar dance number at the beginning. You got Billie Eilish on the red carpet getting asked by, I think it was Billie Porter, or whoever was doing the interviews on ABC, what were your favorite films growing up? And her answers were A tie. We need to talk about Kevin and the Babadook. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) I want Stephen A. to comment on we need to talk about Kevin. I want to know what he thought of the direction. (laughs) You saw him in the rich house. You saw him in the poor house. You saw him in the cellar. That's what you saw, okay? But I got to tell you, we need to talk about Kevin. <laughs> Just a masterpiece. The Babadook. duck. Jennifer Kent deserved that Oscar. I'll tell you what. We saw the scared woman in the poorhouse. We saw the scared woman in the rich house. We saw the witch demon creature in the cellar. That's what we saw. Absolutely reprehensible blasphemous oh my lord imagine growing up and your favorite movie is we need to talk about Kevin imagine that like mom just went to blockbuster picked that up for you I'm not sure what that that is a reflection of right like I'm not sure Billie Eilish just had a fucked up childhood or Billie Eilish is six years younger than me I, I, I don't know Is it a generational thing or is it... It's probably just a Billie Eilish thing. I mean, look at the girl. I liked her in Memoriam, by the way. It's Billie Eilish season. I'm here for it. Loved her at the Grammys. Love her brother, Phineas. I love that his name is Phineas. Yesterday, keep it simple, keep it sweet. Kirk Douglas, Kobe. They missed a few names, but... uh, Yeah, man, just a... Just a weird, weird, weird evening filled with music, filled with montages, and devoid of a host, which was even more bizarre when you consider this Steve Martin, Chris Rock monologue. Because like, those two have hosted the Oscars before, to great success. I'm pretty sure Steve Martin did it in 2003, and Chris Rock did it, I think, what was it, 2014, 2015? Both are competent comedians. Comic icons, the two of them, they come out and do a monologue, which was really tight. Like, it was a solid five-minute monologue. One of the better monologues we've seen in a couple years. I actually thought stronger than the Ricky Gervais monologue at the Globes, which I loved. But uh, Chris Rock had, had some uh, some great Irishman jokes, great Bezos material. Anytime you can just light Bezos on fire, like <laughs> Florence Pugh did to her boyfriend in Midsommar, I, I'm in. Marriage Story was a comedy to Bezos. Mahershala Ali has two Oscars, but when he's pulled over from by the police, what does that mean? Nothing. <laughs> Great stuff out of them. I, I, this is what I don't get. Like you ask them to do the monologue, they were okay doing the monologue. They wrote some material. They had fun. Is it just a contractual thing? Who is it worse for? That I guess that's my question. Because the Academy Awards wants a monologue. Chris Rock and Steve Martin are okay doing the monologue. Is it that Chris Rock and Steve Martin don't want to host? Because it's too much pressure, too much work? Press tours, promotional uh, photo shoots, what, what have you? Or is it that the Oscars don't want to pay Chris Rock and Steve Martin? <laughs> because I guess their fee would be higher if they hosted. I, I don't know. I don't know who loses out in that. Chris Rock joked about the Twitter feeds. You know, he talked about how if you get asked to host the Oscars, they're going to dig up some shit on you. And so now no one wants to do it. I mean, I guess that's possible. Chris has said stuff to that effect in the past. Kevin Hart has said stuff to that effect in the past. But I, I just don't understand why they didn't host the whole thing. Because you have these weird intercuts now where certain celebrities are introducing other celebrities. And that is the job that normally a host would do. So you have like the chick from Booksmart introducing a presenter, or you have a guy from Hamilton introducing Lin-Manuel Miranda, who then introduces <laughs> Eminem. Like I, I I don't know. I don't understand all the cutaways. Like you can just give one person that job, and like Chris Rock and Steve Martin are about as good a choice as you can make for that. I don't know. Just really weird. Really, really weird. Really weird night for comedy all around. Like, I could have done without the Maya Rudolph, Kristen Wiig thing. Although I thought it was great performance art. Um, yeah, Yeah, I could have done without that. I just wanted less singing, I guess. But maybe I didn't. Here's what I wanted. I wanted more stuff. I wanted more Academy Awards last night. I wanted more upsets. I wanted more awkward moments. I wanted more Joaquin Phoenix talking about like animal abuse and how we should stop drinking milk with our cereal. What a choice that was. I talked about this on Friday. It was one of my predictions. It's going to be an iconic night for acceptance speeches. Did not know Joaquin was going to go there. Oh boy. We inseminate cows, take them from their mothers, drink their milk. And then he rails against cancel culture. Got to be more forgiving, got to accept, got to redeem. Man, I did not have don't drink milk on my Oscar ballot. Did not have it on the bingo card. Cows, bro. Big winner. Big night for cows. And I'm not talking about Renee Zellweger. (laughs) Big night for cows. Dude, then you got Corden doing his cats thing with... <laughs> what's her name? What's what's the girl that's in cats? Rebel Wilson. You got the two of them in cats makeup? Man. I got a lot of angry texts when that happened. Just all no, no, no in caps. You got the... <laughs> literally two cats presenting to three distinguished visual effects artists their first oscar something else dude um man just a just a fun night just a night of wonder of awe of spectacle of chaos of bullshit of comedy of music of oscars And I'll just say this, man. Um, I've I've had a very complicated relationship with the Academy Awards as of late. Actually, my entire life has been sort of a love-hate relationship with the Oscars. And I've gone back and forth on this. I've been incredibly bipolar on this matter. And I don't mean to, but like this shit is very important to me. I spend a lot of time following this. And that is my problem. It is not yours. But... I am obsessed with movies. I am obsessed with culture. And the Oscars, for better or for worse, have become the centerpiece of popular culture. They are our yearly temperature check. They are a way of checking the pulse of show business, seeing what actors, directors, cinematographers, and screenwriters think of the movies that they make. That's always valuable. It is valuable to know what people that make movies think about the movies that we watch. Because... There's only so much Marvel Cinematic Universe we can take. So the Oscars have been painted into sort of an awkward corner. And it's not their fault. And it's not Hollywood's fault. And it's not your fault. It's probably my fault. It's my fault and guys like me who follow this thing so rigidly and get obsessed with it and take it too seriously and become emotionally attached to the people that are involved in it. It is our sole responsibility And I've been disappointed in the past and I was expecting to be disappointed this year and I was trying to develop a healthier relationship and I said things like, you know, 1917, it's not the best movie, but it will be an okay winner. And then by the end of it, I did the thing that everybody does and they you know they write their think pieces and they read more tweets and they get on letterboxed and they look at arbitrary star ratings thumbs up thumbs down and they talk themselves out of certain movies that's the way the oscars operate and it's the most toxic element of the academy awards a movie becomes the front runner we pick that thing apart because there's nothing else for us to talk about and by the end of oscar season a movie that we once enjoyed becomes the villain becomes the antagonist, becomes the quote-unquote wrong choice. 1917 became that for me, and I regret it. Because that movie's not that bad. And it almost takes away from Parasite's win. It takes away from the surprise. It takes away from the shock. Because I have painted these works of art into arbitrary columns of good and evil. So guys, when you're reading about the Oscars today on Entertainment Weekly, or the Hollywood Reporter, or Variety, you're gonna see a familiar narrative. Last night was a win for the good guys. Parasite and Bong Joon-ho won, 1917, and Sam Mendes lost. We win, we win, we win. Out with the old, in with the new. This narrative is unfair. Because in many ways, it was cool that the first ever foreign language film won Best Picture. It was cool to see a movie that normally wins Best Picture gets shut out, while an abnormal modern movie takes home the big trophy. All this stuff was cool and enjoyable and entertaining. But it doesn't change that the objectification of art is a silly premise. This whole charade doesn't mean anything. And we will talk about the year that Parasite won Best Picture fondly, and we will look back 30 years later with some surprise and amusement that this foreign language film from South Korea beats the traditional war movie directed by a British guy that already won Best Director. And film nerds like you and I will smile ear to ear. But this ain't no victory tour. This ain't some sort of moral imperative. This is meaningless. This is Hollywood. These are movies, and these are award shows, and it's nothing more than that. Here's what's awesome. A bunch of people that I know in my life, and I'm sure you know in your life, have never heard of Parasite until the Oscars. They had no idea who Bong Joon-ho was. They had no idea this movie should even be on their radar, and they watched the Oscars, and they saw Bong win four In the same night, and they saw Parasite Take Home, Best Picture of 2019, and they're going to watch it this week. My parents are going to watch it this week. My cousins are going to watch it this week. My non-movie fans are going to watch it this week. My grandparents may even give it a shot. And they're going to stomach the subtitles. And they're going to have to get used to watching a movie in a foreign language. And they're going to get exposed to Bong Joon-ho. And guess what? They're going to love it. At its best, the Oscars are not an arbitrary competition. They are a celebration of great cinema. And that is the win. An awesome filmmaker who made an awesome movie that has a lot of interesting ideas and that's funny and thrilling and weird takes home the biggest prize in all of show business. And it becomes a part of our culture. And more people are going to watch it than would have ever watched it otherwise. And that makes me so happy as a fan of great cinema. My condolences to Sam Mendes. My condolences to Todd Phillips. My condolences to everyone that didn't take home a shiny trophy, including Martin Scorsese. The Irishman went 0 for 10 last night. And Netflix, 2 for 24. Man, disastrous for them. But a good night for all of us. If you haven't seen Parasite, trust me on this. Check that movie out. Feels like homework. Trailer looks like homework. To see that it's a South Korean movie given a trophy by a bunch of snobby Hollywood elites. Ugh, feels like a drag. Trust me, it's not. Um, That's it. That's the Oscars. I love you so very, very much. And I love the Academy Awards. I love movies! Movies, dude. Movies. Now, here we go into February. Without fear. The dog days of February. Valentine's Day around, around the corner. No football around the corner if you don't count the XFL. No good cinema. No good culture. Pitchers and catchers report in four weeks. That's all. <laughs> That's all we got to look forward to. I'll be here, though, every step of the way, talking about all the goings-on in Hollywood. Movies, television, music, so much more. You can count on me, my friends. I love you so very, very much. And please, consider returning next week. Because you know what happens then. You and I and Oscar winner Bong Joon-ho get... Culture, love you.